0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. Just a quick friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m., I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter at SnapshotsIn, and on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History. I want to thank John Ogrodnick for coming on again. Two weeks ago, I guess it's been, last week I took the week off, I apologize, I was doing a little bit of traveling with my family, went down to Disney World for probably the first time in 20 years, and oh my god, I had a blast, I hadn't been to Disney World in a long time, actually that's not true, I stopped by Epcot probably two years ago while I was down there for a meeting, and Epcot looked disgusting, it didn't look like it had been held up, it looked like it had been falling apart, and went to the Magic Kingdom and went to Hollywood Studios this trip, and didn't get that same feeling this time around. I hung out with my nephews a little bit, hung out with my wife, went to the Magic Kingdom Kingdom, went to Hollywood Studios, rode some roller coasters, had a great time. Unfortunately, being away, though, man, I couldn't do an episode last week. And unfortunately, the traveling is also not done for me. I'm going to be away next week as well, although I am going to try to upload an episode before I go. So please keep your eyes out for that. Huge guest this week. I wasn't kidding when I said it was he was huge. George The Rock joined us on the podcast and George did not disappoint. What a hell of a guy. When i originally had the idea of wanting to do this and was like who would i want to interview george was right up there at the top of the list and i reached out to this guy a ton and if you follow us on twitter i'm sure you saw it i reached out to him chris dingman said reach out use his name george responded said he'd do it he was awesome after going back and forth a few weeks given how busy he is we were able to finally catch up on a sunday afternoon and we decided to cover His 99-2000 season with the Edmonton Oilers. I know there are a lot of people that have wanted me to do an episode on the Edmonton Oilers and... Went ahead and asked him if he would be willing to do this. It was his second year in the league. So we talk about his ascension through the league as one of the toughest guys that ever played. He gets into fighting Bob Probert, several other guys, including one rookie who literally in practice just challenged him. His name was Jason Simon. I accidentally called him Jason Smith in the interview. I think I was a little nervous. Forgot the guy's name, wrote it down wrong. And George even corrected me in the interview. He couldn't remember the guy's name either. But for the record, it was Jason Simon, not Jason Smith. Of course, Jason Smith would go on to become one of his teammates and actually be a captain of the Edmonton Oilers down the road. I think everyone will really enjoy this interview. Uh, Other than that, what did I miss last week? Let's see, it was the NHL trade deadline. I love how a couple weeks ago I kind of did a review from the trade deadline 20 years ago and was like, hey, this one was packed full of stuff. I bet we won't have one like that this year. And I was completely wrong. There were a ton of trades. I know my Washington Capitals picked up a few guys, including Nicholas Hagman. I watched the Capitals play the rags today and beat them in a shootout in what was kind of a controversial goal. The Rangers goalie threw a stick on the last shot of the game, and as a result, you guessed it, the Capitals were awarded a goal. I plan on pretty much wrapping this up, finishing recording, and then going and watching the Minnesota Wild game, which will be on in a little bit. It's nice to be back in town and finally be able to watch some hockey. Anyways, let's go ahead and cut to the interview with George The Rock as we relive his 1999-2000 season with the Edmonton Oilers. So, George, the 99 2000 season started for you the summer before while you were back home in Montreal, and you really gave it your all in Montreal that summer. Typically, you said you would balloon up to around 270 during the summer, but you came to camp that year at a lean 240 pounds. What kind of training well, were
1: you doing over the summer? Well, just so you know, every summer I always go up to two. During my hockey season, I always go up to 270, 280. And when I came to training camp, I always came at 245, 250. This is something that most guys, when the season is done, you you gain a bit of weight during the month off you take when the season is done. And then during the summer, you trim that out down with, you know, you're careful what you eat, with the training and everything, the weight goes back down, and then it's easy to do. Every year I played in the NHL, it was always the same routine that I had. Like I was, season was done, I take a little bit of break, gain a bit of weight, and then during the summer, I lose all that weight, and then I, I train. So the, how I did it is just everything that I did. I, I've always loved running. Um, I played soccer all my youth. So what I did is, uh, in a half-season training, I was an, a runner. I, I'd run all the time. And this is the best way for me to keep my weight off and to take my weight off, because running is so demanding that I, I just loved it. And I would go for five, 10K run, like regularly. And that way it was getting me in shape really fast.
0: That's interesting because usually you hear about guys on the bike. And I know training now with the bike, people are actually saying not to do that with hip flexors and things. But you're one of the first guys I've heard that talked about doing off-season training running. So it's definitely something different and not what I expected for a big guy your size to tell me was how you got in shape for the season. The Oilers have a different look as the millennium. You know, we, we get to the end of the 90s. After 14 years with the Oilers organization, GM Glenn Sather left the team captain, Kelly Bookberger, exposed in the expansion draft, and he ends up being taken by the Atlanta Thrashers. Looking back, were you surprised to see that he was left exposed? What was your initial reaction to that?
1: Well, you know, did. he was an awesome captain for the Oilers, and he did so much that, you know, this business is, you know, when teams are making decisions, Mm-hmm. Their decision are, are ma- that they're making is to make the team as best possible as they can. And obviously, Kelly was, you know, in his last playing years in the NHL. And when you make a team, you don't make it with your heart. You make it with your with, with your head. And they just saw that where they were going uh, in terms of, build, you know, having the tough competitive Oilers team that's always battling for playoff spot Against big team that makes a lot of, that have a lot of money to mm-hmm. spend for their cap, well, that was one of the decisions that they had to make to make this team young and competitive. so because he had a couple of years left, that's what they had to do and obviously it wasn't personal. it was just the best decision that they had to make to make the team better. Sure.
0: NHL training camp's getting ready to kick off for the Edmonton Oilers. And as you said, you came into camp in great shape from all your running. And I always enjoy training camp because you get to see rookies try to crack the lineup. But it seems there's also usually a feel-good story involved there. And, and this camp had one. The great one, Esetikinen, was trying to give it one last run. And he had taken a tryout opportunity to have the ability to try to play in three different decades. What do you remember about Esetikinen coming into camp?
1: Well, you know, the... the there's so much rich, rich history in everything about, about the Cups and everything that they've won. So seeing him, it's just that it, remind, it reminds you of all those memories. It was just awesome to see him in person because as a kid, we all saw the Oilers winning the Cup and dominating the league, and he was a big part of it. It was just awesome to see him in a room because he's the only guy left <laughs> that I saw with Kevin Lowe that was part of that dynasty when I came in. So seeing those guys that were there when they won the cup and, and they were right beside me, I was, looking at, I was looking them up on TV and they were towards the end of their career. It was just surreal. It was just unreal to see that and, and to have their presence uh, during training camp.
0: Is it true that he basically speaks his own language and, and combines like three languages all together?
1: Well, uh, you know, European guys uh, often, um, you know, you have to focus a lot when, when they speak to understand them. But so was it the same for me when I came in, because when I came in Edmonton and I was French. Uh, people really had to focus when I was talking because I was I was not the best one in English. And uh, I kind of spoke kind of like the same language that he and did. So I couldn't really say anything about <laughs> the way that he spoke because I wasn't that much better when I started it.
0: Very fair. Very fair. You can't criticize if you're in the same camp. During the prior few seasons, you had established yourself as one of the toughest in the NHL. And when you're on to the top of the mountain, everybody's trying to knock you off. And this was probably your third or fourth camp. And a young player named Jason Smith actually challenges you during the skating drills at camp. Not even a scrimmage, but during skating drills. When the scrimmages start, you finally square off. And after the fight, you said you had a great deal of respect for Jason. George, you've already earned your spot on the team. Why risk injury and square off during practice with a rookie?
1: Well, it wasn't. By the way, it wasn't Jason Smith. It was—I uh, don't remember what his name was—but not Jason Smith became a captain, the defenseman. We ne- we never actually fought. Oh, okay. It was another. It was another rookie. I don't remember his name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. And it, it was funny because that guy. What happened is, oh man, I, I wish this name his name came back to me. But during, while we were practicing in in a, in a sprint before the scrimmage, because. The other the way it did is one hour practice, and after that, it was the game. During the scrimmage, he came up to me and asked me to fight. And I was like, you can't wait for the game. <laughs> he was so anxious about it that he wanted to get over with. And I said, no, you're going to have to wait for the game. So I was actually mad. I was mad that some rookie came to me in a drill and practice to fight now to get it over with. I've never seen anything like it. So when the game happened, like the scrimmage, and we scored off, I was mad for what he did in the, in, in, in the practice. So, so, you know, and that's probably why I obliged and I did it because there's so many exhibition games when you play that Why fighting, you know, against each other when you could do it against other teams. So that's why when that happened, I was like, my God, you really did that in front of everybody? Asked me to go to practice? And uh, yeah, I fought mad, and uh, it was easier for him to uh, invite me and to challenge me because I was so mad that I was like, yes, we're going, let's go.
0: I'm trying to look up in the Edmonton Journal to get this guy's name because you're right, it wasn't Jason Smith. He was already established with the team.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was one rookie. It was, uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, he, I think he, hand, he ended up being released. I think he was First Nation, something Simon maybe. Something like that, his last name, Simon, maybe. something like that, you have to look it up. but uh, but I know you talk I know who you're talking about, but it's just that you know, that's so many years ago. it's out, it's crazy to actually remember that moment.
0: during your playing career, you talked about this young rookie. Was there anybody else that constantly every year was challenging you in the preseason or always trying to make your name for yourself? I mean,
1: at that point in your career, George Larocque was the king of the Hill, man. It's not that somebody was all the time. It's just that every year there was somebody that, that would. I remember that the one year there was Reed Lowe from St. Louis. Another year it was Bolton from Atlanta. And there was Derek Bougard. It's just that every year there's new up and coming guys that, that, that were coming in that wanted to make a name for themselves. And then I just knew that before the game they would come and ask me. It was just part of the job. So what or or even uh when he was in, in LA and I knew that he was gonna again he was going to come up to me and ask me about it. It's just part of it. When I was a rookie, I wanted to do a man for myself. So I went to see all the big guys. And guys were doing the same thing to me when uh, when they were playing me when the, in their rookie years.
0: During the preseason, Oilers GM Glenn Sather came out in the papers and said you had the worst VO2 test, which is definitely hard to believe given the type of workout you'd put over the summer. And Glenn later evidently said that that he just said it just to get a rise out of you. What was your relationship like with the Oilers GM, Glenn, Seth? The
1: the relationship was really good. And the thing is that what we have to know about this is in the summer, I was a runner. Like I was running. And the thing is, is that when you do the VO2 on the bike, it wasn't the same test if you do it running. Mm -hmm. When people do it on the bike and you get conditioned to it, it's different because your body, your VO2, doesn't react the same way when you're used to biking. I never biked in the summer, I was a runner, that's how I got in shape. So I remember when I did the VO2 and the VO2 wasn't that great. And I told them that, that I didn't ride the bike once, I was a runner, so I ended up doing it on the treadmill. And on the treadmill, the VO2 was totally different, it was really good. So then they were like, oh, okay, that's why. And then, because I knew the effect that it did of running, not biking, because the test was on the bike. Then after that year, I started to do more biking in the summer, so then when I did the VO2, my muscle would get used to it, and then I, would, I wouldn't have a hard time to do it because it wasn't an exercise that I was used to do.
0: Oh, well, your body memory, your muscle memory is just not set up for something like that. When camp started, the team had several unsigned players, including Mike Greer, Roman Hamerlick, Bill Guerin. Why were there so many unsigned
1: foldouts during this period? What was going on with the Oilers? Well, that, that I, again, I, I can't, I, I don't remember. Like, you know, in terms of contract-wise, You'd ask me about a time where I was pretty much, you know, I was in my, that time, it was my second, I think, second, third in the NHL, (laughs) and you don't really, you know, the thing with the free agenda, the question that you're asking me is, I wasn't really, like, focusing or thinking about it, because I had so much to worry about myself, about making sure that, you know, I was, you know, now that I had a spot on the team, I was going to stay there, and all the challenge that comes with being a tough guy, so... I never, I, I never thought about it or yeah, thought no. about the composition of it. I have no idea.
0: Yeah, it wasn't your business. It didn't involve you. You just kind of focused on what you were doing and focused on getting ready for the season. Exactly. The season started on October 1st, 1999, and we're not going to go game by game, but this season opener is pretty unique. Nostalgia is the name of the game. The game was against the New York Rangers, and prior to the game, the Oilers retire Wayne Gretzky's number 99. You ended up fighting Darren Langdon during this game, and... Do you have any memories from this evening? I imagine it's probably pretty special, you know, going back to the tradition of the Oilers and having Gretzky there.
1: Well, the the thing is, I feel so lucky because all the major players that were put in the rafters, I was there for every time in jerseys, every time. Oh, that's awesome. And that's the rich history of the Oilers for all of them that I was there. And I feel so fortunate for it. And obviously the greatest player that ever played the game, you know, in the NHL, the history of hockey, the fact that I was there for that, it was a special night. It was just amazing. It was just amazing that, to be there and to witness that. As a kid, you just make it into the NHL, you look at those guys on TV when you're a kid, and now you're there for his jersey that gets retired. It was a special moment that I'll never forget, and, and it was awesome to be able to, to live it, not sitting in a stand and watching on TV, but being on the ice playing against the greatest player I ever played the game.
0: Oh, I just get goosebumps just hearing about it. I, and, and I'm assuming, did you have the opportunity to interact with Wayne at all?
1: Oh, many times. Many times, uh, you know, many times I've had. And actually he coached me in Phoenix, so so uh, I've talked to him many times.
0: Oh, that's just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. A lot of people tell me there's nothing like playing for an original six team. And I know the Oilers aren't an original six team and they came from the WHA, but there's so much history there. Playing for that team, does it kind of still have that pride that you're wearing that crest on your sweater?
1: First of all, it's a Canadian team. So to me, it was really important, to and, and, and I felt so lucky to play for a Canadian team because hockey is our national sport. It's where the fans are most passionate about. They love the hockey, they know the hockey, and it's awesome. So that's the first thing. I was so happy to be part of that, be part of a, a, a Canadian team. And also, the history of the Oilers, not just knowing the Oilers been in the league for so long, but the history of it, everything that they've done, the, like their success with Wayne and the cups and everything, you know, it, you come into the city and it says City of Champion, and I know that it's referring to the to, to because of the uh, the big hurricanes that happened and and how the city recovered from it. But still, you know, when you you come in and you look at that sign, and then Wayne was there in those days, that they were winning cups. And you're talking about how the city rallied after this tra- this uh, natural tragedy. It's just to play with a team like that, with a rich history of people coming together, uh, with a rich history of winning, and, and also in, with, with the CFL team also. When you look at all that, and you're coming into this culture, it was just something really special.
0: God, I can only imagine. At the end of October, the Oilers had a rough three-game road trip. You're credited as being one of the few bright spots on a team that had struggled. You saw your ice time creep up to nearly 14 minutes a night. The prior season, there were games where you only played three or four minutes. With the extra time that you're getting on the ice, is that building your confidence? And, and how are you reacting to that extra ice time? Because that's something new for you. You hadn't done something like that before.
1: Well, I usually, I've always averaged when I was limited, at least like, if you look in the season, I averaged at least nine, 10 minutes, uh, uh, nine, 10 minutes of ice time per game in mm-hmm. average. Only in my rookie year, that and when I played maybe just 12, 13 games, maybe it went it was to four or five. But after that, it was always quite high, like for a tough guy. Sure. Anyway, and I remember th- there's some instance where things are doing really good that the, the coach would bump it up to 14, 15 sometimes. And it's just a matter of I loved it, and I just raised the opportunity. I played as hard as I can to show them that, you know, I deserved it and I could do the job, and that's what I did. It's just I never changed my style, but I played 9 minutes, 10 minutes, or 14 minutes. It was that same style, aggressive, and showing that I could be a factor, even if I'm not, fight, uh, even if I'm not fighting. And it was just awesome to, uh, to see the coach having so much confidence in me.
0: On November 5th, the Edmonton Oilers lose to the St. Louis Blues for the third time already this season. Despite the season only being a month old, the team had already squared off with them three times. I know the league at the time was really trying to develop divisional rivalries. And I think if I'm not mistaken, you would play teams in your divisions eight times throughout the year. Did you ever get tired of just seeing the same teams over and over again? Would you have preferred to maybe see other teams or did it not matter
1: to you? No, it didn't matter to me. It's just, you know, like you look at that, you know, for me, I was in the NHL and I was just starting, right? I wasn't about to complain about the fact that I (laughs) was thinking too much. It's just that I was there. I was happy about it, and I felt blessed.
0: Two nights later, the Oilers suffer another loss. This time it's against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. It was actually Team Mussolini's 500th game, but the star was Ducks goalie Guy Bear. You got on the score sheet by fighting Stu Grimson. What were your experiences like fighting the Grim Reaper?
1: Well, uh, you know, like, when I fought guys like that, you know, I've always, like, you always had great respect for them because I knew that when I came in, I wasn't fighting when they were on their on their prime time, because there's a big difference. Like when you're a young guy and you fight guys like that that are mm-hmm. towards the end of their careers, it's not the same. So, you know, like it, 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 I was, I always admire the fact that guys like that that fought all their careers all their life, they're at the end of their career and they get a young guns like me coming in and wanting to make a name for themselves and 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 asking them, you know, if we could go and stuff and They don't have, like, you would think that they wouldn't want to. Right. They don't have to. They've done so much already. And just as a, like, like the real professional that they all were, and as two was, to give me a chance to build a reputation, he did.
0: It's almost like a respect factor. The fact that they're willing to do it makes you respect them that much more.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Despite being in the hunt for the majority of the games, the Oilers aren't able to squeeze a win in six games. It was a little bit of a tough start. You were one of the young guys on the team at the time. Who were some of the locker room leaders who who spoke up and guys that maybe you looked up to and kind of helped you help the team kind of turn the tracks?
1: Well, you know, Doug Weight was awesome. Like Doug White was there when I started it, and he was an awesome captain and was leading the way. Uh, you know, with his skills and also sometimes his physical play. He wasn't a he, he wasn't the type of guy that uh, that would play and it wouldn't back it up with physical play if you have to, even though he was a skilled player. And it was just awesome to uh, to have a captain like that on your team and that everybody loved and everybody wanted to play and, and give everything that they had. So I'm very fortunate that, uh, that he was there. He was a great guy. And that's a guy that I had to defend. And because of how he was as a person, it was just, it was something easy to do.
0: You mentioned Doug Waite. I, I love Doug Waite. And one of the things that kind of boggles my mind is he is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Do you think there's a spot for him there eventually?
1: It's so hard to say what are their criteria about it. You know, like, you know, there's many guys that, that we could look around and say that they deserve to be there, but there's a reason why they select a lot of elite group that are there because um, the standard are pretty high. So I love Doug Wade and mm-hmm. him, as well as many other guys that would put them there, but I'm not the one making those selections. <laughs> there are no, those, those are not my criteria. So, you know, I'll just, uh, and even though he's not there in my mind, he is Hall All-Famer in my mind.
0: On November 15th, the team picks up a huge win, and your teammate, Alex Sullivanov, scores four goals as the Oilers beat the Hawks 6-3. to three. He was one of the first, or he was the first Oiler to score four tallies in one game since the 91-92 season when Vinny Damfus did it. What's interesting to me about this is the year before, Glenn Sather tried to unload him, and nobody wanted to take him. And I don't know much about him, but at this point he actually tied Yermer Yager for the league lead in goals. I know he's married Phil Esposito's daughter, but what's the inside story on this guy? Do you have any memories of him?
1: What I remember is that he wasn't the most hardworking guy mm-hmm. uh, when I was there and stuff. And I, and I remembered that I know the coach, they had a lot of problem with him. He was, he was like a good, he was a goal scorer. Like you could put the fuck in the net. But just like many goal scorers, like, the work ethic wasn't really there. And you could score, but the thing is with no checking, no skating, coach uh, didn't like that. They thought his intensity wasn't good enough. And that's why, like, you know, the Oilers, that was a fast, hard no skating team. Uh, his style did not fit with the style of, with the Oilers.
0: Fair. During this game, you also made your presence felt, pulling double duty, fighting Mark Jansons and Bob Probert. Anything in your mind stick out about that? I mean, you fought twice in one night. Is that harder? Is it easier? No. no
1: it's always hard to physically to fight once, twice, even more. Because sometimes you have I would Probert think so, yeah. The first one. But what happened is, I think it was in a play. I hit somebody and, and Jensen came up to me and we fought and I one-punched him. And when I one-punched him and he went down right away, I knew that Probert was going to come to me. I knew it was written in the sky. I said, oh, God, now nah, Probert's going to come and see me for sure because I won't punch them. Because, you know, he, he, I won't punch his teammates, right? So you kind of have to avenge for him. So I kind of knew. And then when I came out of the box a couple shifts later, he came up to me. And Probert's a legend. Even though he's, he's, he's at the end of his career, you don't say no to Bob Probert. And, uh, and then we did. <laughs> oh, my
0: gosh. I, so
1: he comes up to you
0: and challenges you. What's that conversation like?
1: Oh, you just said, hey, kids, uh, let's go. <laughs> just, just that something something as simple as that It's not like you need a, a big a big monologue or a bi- like a big conversation to actually know. The minute they stood beside me, I knew that it, that's his job, you know like I knew he was going to come and ask me because his uh his brother Jensen just got one punch so so I knew that because th- that's his territory he's not going to accept somebody especially that happened in Chicago that goes in Chicago and does this in his building no way
0: a quarter of the way through the season the Oilers had struggled with only six wins on the season so far but December started off with a win over the Avalanche but the team struggled over the next five games only picking up one win one rumor that comes out is that the Edmonton Oilers were considering bringing in Toronto Maple Leafs legend Wendell Clark did you ever hear that rumor
1: no, no, never.
0: Gotcha. All right. It was in the Edmonton <laughs> Journal. Just thought I'd ask you about it. Yeah. The team started playing well at home, but was really struggling on the road at this point. And the division that you guys were in was all over the place. How difficult is it, these travel with the Edmonton Oilers when you were playing with them?
1: Well, the travel was it, the travel was hard because, you know, team in the West, I think that after the Canucks, we had the, the hardest schedule in terms of traveling. So, People used to talk about it and say that it was really challenging for us to do so because we have to travel more than anybody did. But you know what? We didn't use that as a cop out because it's just what we had to do. We knew that, um, you know, it's part of our schedule. What we're going to do, quit, stop flying. So it's just that uh, it was harder. We knew that. And even in the beginning, we were flying always, uh, we were not flying, we we're flying um, with a normal flight. Oh, everybody. yeah. We did not- we didn't have a private jet, so that was, that was much longer, much harder. But that's the way that it was. We're still in the NHL, and we're happy about it.
0: So you were getting on the plane, and there would just be rant, There would be people from the public. I can only imagine what they saw when they see you get on the plane, when they see some of these giant guys coming on the plane with them.
1: Yeah, well, you know, people always came up to us, they asked for pictures, autographs, because you see, like, a whole team in suits, right? So then they kind of knew who we were right away. That's the way that it was. And that's how we got, we, that, that's all we've ever known. Especially me when, when, uh, I came in, you know, coming out of junior and I, ma- I made it, it was like, well, you know, like I don't know anything better because I've always, it was always like this. How's your life? It was always, yeah, exactly. So when, when, uh, um, you know, I got, uh, I went to another team after and I went to, uh, and it, it was like charter. It was totally different. It was like, Oh my God, this is luxury. Actually in Edmonton, after a couple of years, we we had we had a charter because it became a rule in the CBA, so they had to do that, and, and it made the traveling and everything so much easier.
0: I know that the Edmonton Oilers aren't an original six team, and they haven't been in the league as long as the New York Rangers have, the Detroit Red Wings, the Hawks, etc., but come on. Is it just me or do they have that same feeling when you look at the tradition of the Edmonton Oilers, where you talk about Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier? And I think George Larocque would agree with me on that. He even talks about that in his interview. And I know that the Edmonton Oilers have been struggling lately, but they have Connor McDavid. Hopefully they'll get things straightened out with management and they can turn things around. That organization is just such a historical one. And I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry to see that the fans are struggling up there. To hear more about the Oilers, to hear more from George The Rock, don't forget to tune in on Thursday at 8 a.m. as we do part two of our interview with George The Rock. In the meantime, have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you on Thursday at 8 a.m.